0: You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode, which I'm sure I say about all of them. This is the first of what I'm hoping will be kind of a recurring thing, where I'm basically doing a book review for you guys, which if any of you know me in real life or knew me as a student, you will not be at all surprised that I am thrilled to be doing this. But I was actually thinking how years ago, before I had any sort of platform where anyone was listening to me, I would read nutrition, exercise, psychology, mindset, self-help related books and take pages and pages of notes from them that have just never seen the light of day. They're probably still in my Google Drive somewhere or on a thumb drive, and I just didn't have anywhere to really share them. But I know that my reading interests are the sort of books that A lot of people can benefit from but won't likely read. I read a lot of kind of very dense sciencey type stuff where there are actionable takeaways, but there's also a lot of research and kind of science and nitty gritty stuff that makes a lot of the books I read pretty dry. (laughs) Sometimes I don't even really want to read them and it takes me a long time to get through them. But overall, they're really fascinating. And I think the, the reason I'm doing this episode and ones that I'll do in the future is because there's so much that we can learn that we don't because we don't want to dive into. I don't know how long this book was, you know, a couple hundred page book that feels just really Um, kind of technical, where you're like, why don't you just give me the cliff notes where I can apply it to my life and not have to worry about all that boring stuff that I don't actually care about. So that's what I'm going to do today. The first book is the only book that I'm doing today, but the first book that I'm doing in this kind of series is called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head and How to Harness It by Ethan Cross, Cross with a K. So I'm telling you that because some of you listening may be like me and like reading nonfiction and will find all of the studies referenced in the book to be interesting and things like that so if you want to dive deeper get the book like i said it's called chatter ethan cross um and some of you will find it very interesting others of you will not and you will just benefit from the next 20 30 minutes of me kind of summarizing it for you and giving you the main takeaways So just a little background about the author. He's an experimental psychologist and neuroscientist at the University of Michigan. And he researches... I have some notes here. So if I I sound like I'm saying something, that I'm reading something, I am. He researches silent conversations people have with themselves, which powerfully influence how we live our lives. So I know that everyone can relate to just the word chatter. You probably hear that and you're like, oh yeah, I got some stuff going on in my brain. I'm talking to myself a lot. So what the book really helps us do is be better at introspecting or paying actively paying attention to what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And interestingly, that's the ability to do that is part of what separates humans from animals. So for the purposes of this podcast and in the book, the way the author defines chatter is cyclical negative thoughts and emotions that turn our capacity for introspection into a curse rather than a blessing so essentially this is you just kind of stewing over all sorts of negative stuff having negative thoughts having negative feelings and basically being stuck in that headspace because it overrides everything else you have a hard time sort of pulling yourself out of it because you're so consumed with those negative thoughts whether it's about a recent event maybe something happened at work and you don't like how it played out or how you responded to it and you just are reliving that That is rumination, where you're rehashing something that has already happened. And then you have worry, which is imagining future events in a really negative way, kind of like the worst case scenario. You're just playing that over and over. It hasn't even happened yet, but you are using your imagination to assume the worst. So the overarching purpose of the book and of this episode is to give you the tools to help you manage that self-talk so that you can better pull yourself out of that negative headspace, be more productive, be happier, less stressed, all of those things. And I wrote my notes just kind of on like a, a chapter by chapter basis. So the first couple are going to be a little bit more just kind of generally informative or even just me pulling out an interesting line or two that uh, that I wanted to share. And then for most of the chapters, each one has sort of a focus and, and a tangible takeaway, and then I will try to recap those at the end. So something that I thought was really interesting, not super surprising given the, the work that I've done around mindset and the things that I've learned, but maybe really interesting to some of you who haven't been as, as deep into that as I have, is that once I found that what participants were thinking about was a better predictor of their happiness than what they were actually doing so probably hearing that you can think of a ser- scenario when it's been true for you maybe you're at a I don't know why this is coming to mind but I have I used to bartend and I would work New Year's Eve in the coat check, which believe it or not was a very profitable um, endeavor but in any case I'm thinking about like uh, a girl who's out on New Year's and her boyfriend just broke up with her. So she's like supposed to be having fun, you know, time for life, having, you know, having a great time with her friends, but instead, you know, she had a couple drinks and now she's crying. So it's I I'm sure you can relate to a situation where what your physical body is doing or where you are or who you're with from an outsider's perspective looks like a happy situation. But because of what you're thinking about, your head is elsewhere. You're worried about what's going to happen later or what happened before. Your head's just not in it. And what you're thinking has a bigger impact on your happiness or how you're feeling overall than the actual circumstance that you're in. So that's interesting. Um, So again, this is this first little bit. is just kind of background. So as I'm sure you're also still aware, we are constantly bombarded by information especially in the age of the internet and social media where, you know, we used to have, I don't know how many tens of thousands of inputs every day. We've just kind of blown that out of the water. We are constantly receiving information. And another part of what makes us human is our ability to filter out things that don't matter so that we can focus on the things that do. Some attention, he explains in the book, is involuntary. So, for example, you hear a loud noise. You're going to look, see where that noise is coming from. But humans have the ability to use our minds to concentrate on what requires attention. So the problem is that when we are experiencing chatter, we have this repetitive, anxious thoughts going on in our heads. Those basically overwhelm everything else and prevent us from focusing on a task. That, that inner voice basically grabs up all of the attention and we start focusing inward in, and and excluding basically everything else. So there's some really interesting information that he shared about talking about experiences. And I'm going to, once we once I get to this kind of chapter, I'll talk about this a little bit more. But there were some stuff that I found really surprising related to sharing our feelings. So he explained that the intensity with which a person feels compelled to share their negative experiences <laughs> means they're they're going to talk more about it. So like the more intensely you're feeling, the more you just want to talk about that to the expense of everything else. It's all you want to talk about. And a large part of why we talk to other people is kind of for this outlet and to feel supported and heard and things like that, but that a lot of the studies have found that excessively talking actually pushes other people away. And you can probably think this I know with social media, you probably have a really vocal neighbor or childhood friend or someone on your social media who you just feel like is constantly talking about the negatives in their lives and just how exhausting that can be. Or maybe it's a good friend who you feel like only ever really comes to you or wants to talk when it's to vent or talk about how awful things are and you don't feel like you're getting to reciprocate. You don't feel like it's ever productive conversation or focused on on anything you know, solution focused, that it's really just kind of that venting. So not only does it push people away, you know, that, you know, in those dynamics, you, it, you get tired. You don't want to keep hearing about it and you feel like it brings you down too. to kind of match their level. And it also makes people less capable of actually solving the problem, because the more you stew, the more you're keeping those feelings alive. And interestingly, a lot of us will have experienced this as well. It also causes you to displace that aggression or that emotion on the wrong people so for example if you've been stewing all day about something that happened with your boss and you're just furious at how it went down down and you are just living in your head about it and potentially talking to any coworker who'll listen and you know calling your mom on the way home and talking to her about it and all you're doing is being in that negativity Then you're more likely to come home and like yell at your kids, yell at your husband. And a lot of us have experienced that where, you know, yeah, I have a short temper and it has nothing to do with you, but you're who's here. So here we are. So overall, what that basically is telling us is that when you let your chatter drive how you interact with other people, it ends up having a negative outcome. Instead of feeling like you are surrounded by support, you end up feeling less supported, more isolated, and having further negative feelings. Then, in addition, just kind of keep piling this stuff on. Really, this is kind of building the case for why it's important to address your chatter. Why the stuff I'm going to talk about in the second half is going to be so helpful to act if you actually implement it, because this mental stuff, how you're thinking has a huge impact on the rest of your life, whether it's your physical health, your mental health, your social health, all of it is affected by your thoughts. So probably no surprise to you that just thinking can activate a stress response and contribute to your stress response being chronically elevated instead of having those sort of blips like our ancestors did oh, shoot, a lion, we better run. Okay, great, we're back in a cave, we can relax. Instead, you're just chronically stressed all the time. Not necessarily because what you're experiencing in the moment is particularly stressful, but because you're stressed about the past or the future and you're just stuck in your head about it. Then that being having chronically elevated stress response can disrupt your digestive system, your reproductive system, your immune system. So there's a really negative cascade that can come from... Being in a negative headspace, having this chatter going on all the time. Uh, It can even affect gene expression, largely in regards to inflammation, and it can suppress normal daily function. So I think this is all just so fascinating. And it's a big part of why our coaching programs have such a mindset focus, because, like I mentioned before, it's just not as simple as just tell me what to eat and what to do for workouts. If it was, that information is out there for free on the internet. You could just pull up. You could just Google, what should I eat? And you'd be squared away. But you're not because it's way more mental than you realize. And I think hopefully if you're a regular listener of the podcast or you become one, you will see just how valuable addressing your mindset is. That I think things like stress management are one of those things that have become so sort of cliche you're like hey I know I should be managing my stress but you're not actually doing it so that's really what it comes down to is so many of us know what we should be doing but aren't doing it and then we just kind of let that be the end of the road I know what to do I just need to do it well you're not so why not Um, that's not the answer I just need to make myself do it isn't going to actually change anything you need to figure out why you're not doing it and if the case is that you are chronically stressed how are you going to prioritize that? I see it overlooked over and over and over again. Even with some of our clients, we'll ask each week, what's your plan for stress management? And it's like, survive. Just do my best. You know, I'll try to take a walk. We, for whatever reason, even though there are such dire consequences to being stressed all the time, we still just kind of gloss over like, well, I just, I mean, the, it's just never ending. Work's not going to change. My family life's not going to change. My—I don't, I don't know. Nothing I can do about it. It is literally sometimes a matter of life and death. It is very, very important to address your headspace. And it could well be that the reason you are so frustrated by your lack of progress is because you're not addressing the mental piece, which is then affecting, like I said, that kind of cascade response of... You're having trouble with digestion. Your immune system is down. That's why you're getting sick all the time. That's why you're missing workouts. That's why you can't eat nutritious foods because you don't have an appetite. That's why you're inflamed all the time. It's why you're having a hard time getting through the day and around we go. So it's really just so important to recognize that this may be the work for you. You may need to say, I have to exercise less because that's actually adding to my stress. I need to take something off my plate, even if that's hard to do. Anyhow, I will bring myself down and end that rant for now, but it's important. So do it and listen to the rest of this episode so you have better tools for it. All right. So just to kind of recap, chatter is when you are zooming in on something and you are just kind of fanning the flames of that emotion and you are excluding other ways of thinking. So it's really important that we develop the ability to zoom out and get perspective. So... There are a few suggestions here that can really help with this. And the idea, just like we work with our clients on kind of developing a whole toolbox of nutrition skills, of, you know, robust exercise library, that sort of thing, is because different tools will work at different times and will resonate more with some people than others. So certainly don't feel like you have to take all of these. They have to write, write down notes on, on all of them and try to do them all simultaneously all the time. That's just going to you know, overwhelm you. What you want to do is have these somewhere that you can remember and you can pull from them. You can say, okay, you know what? I can tell that I'm, you know, that I'm ruminating right now. This is ready in the past. Here I am still dwelling on it. What are some of those tools? What can I try? And in, in this case, we get immersed in that negative emotion so the distance helps you see the broader the bigger picture and that in turn will help you reduce your stress response reduce your emotional activity you'll be less hostile less aggressive and you won't be in in the negative headspace for as long so one thing that you can do is what uh, the author refers to as temporal distancing which is really just a fancy way of zooming out into the future in a week or in a month or in a year or five years or 10 years. How will you feel about this then? I think this is super helpful when it comes to thinking about something like the scale where you get on the scale and it's Saturday morning and you're just like, Ugh. well, there goes the day. The whole weekend is ruined because of this stupid number and you just kind of go into the tailspin. Really asking yourself, in a a year from now, am I going to even remember or care what I weighed on this particular day? In the grand scheme of things, a year is a pretty long time. You're gonna have plenty of progress under your belt by then. The exact number right now doesn't matter. If you're up 0.4 pounds from last time you were on the scale, it doesn't matter. So this just kind of reminds you that whatever you're experiencing right now is temporary and gives you hope that the future is going to feel different. Very similarly in the case like a breakup where right after it happens, you probably feel like you are never going to climb out of this dark hole and you're always just going to be miserable and heartbroken for forever. But kind of reminding yourself in a few years, I am not going to, this is not going to last forever basically. And maybe even taking your ba- yourself back to a time when you experienced another negative thing that felt all-consuming and felt like it was going to last forever. And the fact that now you are not still spiraling about that thing. So the evidence suggests that time will help you get through this as well. Um, also the ability to step outside of yourself. So he talks about kind of visualizing a situation that you are in, but from an observer's standpoint. So instead of being inside your body, you're kind of like this fly on the wall. You're observing the social interaction or, or whatever it is that happened as someone other than yourself. And it can even, you know, you can be the fly on the wall or or kind of think of yourself as like this neutral third party where it's very easy to get caught up in your own emotions and just be thinking, how could anybody even think that, you know, that I'm wrong or how could anybody think differently than me? And when you kind of think of yourself as that almost like mediator or referee, like, okay, if I weren't in my head about this, if this wasn't so emotional and close to home for me, if I was just an outsider who happened upon this and saw it happening, what what other perspectives could there be? And this is super helpful, not just in your own mental chatter. A lot of these tools are helpful, not just with within your own brain, but also with your interpersonal relationships. So if you think about an argument with your spouse, where you dug your heels in, you think you're right. Your spouse has done the same thing. And you're both just kind of like at odds. Like, how how could anyone possibly think any differently? This is such an obvious no-brainer. The only answer is mine. So then if you put yourself in that kind of neutral position, all right, what if I didn't know the background? What if I didn't know what was going on inside my head? What if I just saw this on TV Would I be able to see that other person's perspective? Would I be able to see that there is an alternative kind of possibility here? And that just helps you from being so trapped in the emotion and, like I said, kind of zoom out and get the distance to be able to see that this is not as as all-consuming as it feels. Um, another tool for getting distance is journaling. So again, I've talked before about how I know this can kind of be a polarizing thing where a lot of people don't know what it should look like or don't feel comfortable what if someone sees it. But so you can do it sort of visually, like I said, you can kind of walk yourself through the the options that I just laid out. But I find that it really is helpful to get things down on paper because sometimes things come out that you didn't even realize were in there. And so what the author suggests is writing 15 or 20 minutes about that negative experience and just kind of brain dumping all of that kind of gut wrenching stuff onto paper. Um, and they found that in in studies when people do this, that they obviously they feel better. Um, they actually end up needing to go to the doctor less and they have improved immune function. So that's just another um, example of how intertwined this all is that you've probably heard of people who go to the doctor thinking they're having a heart attack or something and it turns out they they just need to manage their stress it's a panic attack or they're you know that sort of thing it really is all connected so if you're bottling up all of this negativity and you don't have an outlet for it it really can have a negative impact on your your physical body not just your mentality so another concept that he introduces in the book is called distanced self-talk and All of these are really kind of playing into the same thing. You need to separate yourself from what is going on in your head. And this is a simple shift from using the word I when you're thinking to the word you or she. This helps you get that distance. So instead of what am I feeling, what is Esther feeling? It probably feels a little bit silly to do, but... Again, if you start paying attention to it, you'll probably notice times you already do it or have done it before. I know that I do it sometimes, and this until I read the book, I hadn't realized what I was doing exactly. but I know sometimes during workouts when it starts to feel really hard and I stop and take a rest, and then I'm kind of in that limbo where I'm like, I just want to rest longer, but like I know I need to keep going in. I will often say to myself out loud, "Come on, Esther, like let's go esther and I never really noticed that I was using my own name or cared or thought anything of it, but it helps you see. It helps you get the space from the emotion of like, oh, I really don't want to do this. This is so hard for me. That sort of thing. To all right, Esther. I am like a an outside person who is cheering you on, who is telling you to get your button gear. That sort of thing. Um, and that the studies they've done have shown that this can change and improve how you're feeling within like a second they showed a couple sets of people disturbing photos and then asked them to reflect on what they had seen by asking them you know how are how are you feeling about that or how is you know john feeling about that and that within a second they were looking at the the emotional activity in their brains and the people who were using that distant self-talk were less emotional um, it can also improve performance when you're doing something stressful, help you get a better first impression if you're gearing up for a, an interview or some sort of public speaking, hyping yourself up, get it together. Stacy, that sort of thing can, uh, can affect how you sort of show up and are perceived. Um, and it can help you be more rational, less emotional. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting was the idea of seeing stress as a challenge rather than a stress, uh, a, a threat. So in a stressful situation, he says that we're basically asking ourselves two questions subconsciously. One is what's required of me. Like basically what do I have to do here? And two, can I do that? Do I have the resources to cope with this thing? If we tell ourselves that the answer is no, we perceive that stressor as a threat. If we tell ourselves that the answer is yes, we perceive it as a challenge. And that this distant self-talk can make it more likely for you to see that stress as a challenge than a threat. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. And then another suggestion he made was to focus on reinterpreting your body's physical response as a way to help you respond to the challenge. So for example, if you are getting really anxious about something and you're noticing kind of your blood pressure is rising, your heart is beating really fast, you're getting sweaty, you're, you're hot, instead of then using that to get deeper in your head of like, oh my gosh, yup see, I knew I was going to get embarrassed and now my cheeks are red everybody's going to know I'm embarrassed and now I'm so nervous because they know that I'm embarrassed and you, you know, you're know you spiraling. Um, instead, you start reminding yourself, this is how my body is helping me respond to this challenge. This is what my body needs to do to put me in the best possible position to thrive in this challenge. Another way to get distance, and this is one I probably mentioned before, I feel like is, is relatively standard advice, is to imagine that you're giving advice to a friend. So we talk about this a lot with our clients with regards to, you know, would you talk to your daughter the same way you talk about yourself? Would you talk to your mom that way? That sort of thing. But what can help here is not just kind of saying, okay, I wouldn't say that to my mom, so I should stop. But instead, what would I say to someone else that I love? If someone else was feeling this way and came to me or needed help, How would I advise her? It just helps you get out of your head and again, get that distance, see the perspective. Just for those of you who have kids, this is kind of an aside, but he mentioned a study where they asked kids to complete some sort of task and half of them were encouraged to take on like a superhero persona and half were just themselves. And then when they asked them kind of how they felt about the the task, the superheroes felt a lot more positive and capable. They've kind of put on this persona of someone for whom that thing would be easy. So, I thought that was a fun way if, you know, if you have kids who are doubting themselves or are in their heads or things like that to kind of help them develop this like bulletproof superhero persona that for whatever reason they just feel like is is more capable than than they are. And then to sort of remind them that you know, yeah, you know, superhero Johnny did that, but but that's you. You, you did that. You can do that. So I thought that was uh, an interesting little tidbit. All right. So I want to go back to talking to other people about negative experiences, because this was, I think, one of the most interesting parts of the book is that talking, even though you hear everywhere you look, if you Google, you know, how, how do I um, work through a negative experience or something like that? You will hear so much advice about talking to other people. And he referenced a couple of studies that looked at the kind of support that people reached out for after a couple of really terrible college school shootings. One with an in-person support group and one with a, a Facebook group, sort of for the for the survivors of it. And what they were looking at was how frequently people either attended, you know, kind of the group sessions or posted in the group, and what impact that had on their feelings about the situation down the road. And basically, found that the people who reached out more often and were more active in those scenarios didn't actually have a meaningful difference in kind of their recovery from them or how they were feeling about them. It can make you feel closer to other people, but it doesn't likely reduce the chatter, the thoughts you're actually having, and can often exacerbate them. Um, I thought that was really kind of counterintuitive. And what he said is that it, it can be a really valuable tool, but you have to both give it that in that way and you have to receive it in that way that it can um like all tools I guess if it's if it's not the tool for the job then um then it's useless but it could be the right tool but used incorrectly if you're um if you're trying to hammer something into the wall but you're using like the the nail pullout part the little kind of like hook I don't know what that's called um but if you're using that side of it instead of the the banging side then you got the right tool but you're not using it correctly so that's kind of the gist here um, so he talks about how there are basically two sorts of needs. We have our emotional needs and we have our cognitive needs needs. And that when we're feeling our feelings about something negative, when we're feeling upset or hurt or stressed or whatever sort of negative feeling, we want to vent and we want to feel validated and heard and understood and loved and supported and all of those things. And we want to feel safe and connected to other people and like we belong So what we seek out when we're feeling this way, what we seek out from others is to get our emotional needs fulfilled. And he talks about how from an evolutionary standpoint, this made sense that it would, you had better odds of warding off whatever predator if there were two of you. Um, And that there are certainly some positives that comes with it. Security, the sense of connection, the you know, basic need of belonging and that sort of thing, and that it can feel good in the moment, but that the problem is it's only kind of half of the the puzzle. You also need to address the cognitive piece. And when you are in your own brain, what you need help with is seeing the big picture and deciding on what to do. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but that one of the things we talk about in coaching all the time is how the time you're spending dwelling on the problem is time and energy that you are taking away from finding a solution. And when you are having this chat or when you're stuck in your head, when you're ruminating or when you're worrying, you are giving all of your time and energy to the problem and none of it to the solution. So a big part of what you need from other people is the ability to kind of draw out of that and to distance, to normalize okay i'm not the first person in the world who has experienced this and then to help you change how you're thinking so that you can get that kind of emotional cool down so basically what what ends up happening is that when we're upset we focus on getting our emotional needs met over our cognitive we want the the love and support and the empathy over the practical like well have you tried this or you know have you tried that um so this stuff is really going to be helpful for you both as a person experiencing chatter and as someone to whom other people come for their own chatter. Um, So another piece that was interesting is that he said, even when the person experiencing the chatter has kind of the wherewithal to say, I want help coming up with a solution that most people will still prioritize the emotional needs first And I think this, a lot of this section really helped me, you know, helped kind of remind me of the value of coaching because as coaches, our job is to help you get that distance and see the big picture and look for solutions and not prioritize your emotional needs to the detriment of your cognitive ones. And it's really about just like in any personal situation, it's about kind of towing that line where you are providing the emotional support, but you are also helping provide the distance. So something that part, a big part of what makes the, this talking to other people about negative things, a problem is what he introduced as co-rumination, which is when your effort to support kind of becomes more of you like egging on and asking a lot of questions that force the person to continue dredging up that negativity. So it's like if your friend comes to you and is talking about a huge fight she had with her boyfriend and all of the really mean stuff that they said to each other, and you just start asking questions. You 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 want to try to understand what happens so you can help as well as possible, but you end up encouraging and furthering the negative talk. So, okay, he said, he said, what? And then what did you say? And then you said, what? I can't believe he said that. And you're, you're kind of getting in the pool with the person instead of being that sort of lifeguard person who is able to view the whole scene and hear you and listen to you and support you and also say, Have you thought of this? Or do you think this is possible? Kind of ask those questions to help you see the perspective. They just jump on right in with you. Um, So you probably can think of friends or loved ones in your life who do that more than others. And part of what what he talks about is kind of developing this board of advisors for your life where you probably have certain people that you go to for certain things. When you're having a problem at work, maybe you have a trusted coworker or a mentor who you know will kind of understand the ins and out of the, the dynamic and things like that, but also help you see, where do I go from here? What could I have done differently? How do I move on from this? Maybe with your relationship, it's a friend or a sibling or a parent or something like that. And in, in the case of health and, and wellness, I think a lot of people don't have that kind of board of advisors. And that's part of why I'm so thrilled with the team of coaches that we have and just how deep it is and diverse it is and how good we are at being that board of advisors for you in this area of your life. A lot of times, especially when it comes to weight loss, you're going to have a lot of people in your life who co-ruminate. You're going to have your friends or your coworkers who are also constantly trying to lose weight and struggling with it. And instead of them helping you see how to break this cycle, they're just right on in there with you flailing around or your spouse who tells you you're perfect just the way you are, you don't need to lose weight and you're like, "Okay, thanks. Yeah, you better say that, but also I still am not happy with myself and I st- I do want to make a change." And you kind of dismissing it isn't helping either. So a lot of people I think are really, have a lot of co-ruminators in this area of their lives, but don't have the board of advisors. So if that sounds like you, that is a big piece of where coaching is such a life changer. You get an empathetic person who hears you and listens to you and understands you, and also is able to help you put things in perspective. We acknowledge your feelings, we acknowledge you know what's going on, but don't let you live in in that place. Um, so the last couple of things he mentioned kind of in this area is that, again, this is where sort of the, the art comes from that you need to have the wherewithal to know when it's appropriate to try to help give perspective. If someone is coming to your house right after their dog gets hit by a car, you probably don't want to immediately respond with like, Oh, I'm so sorry. But like in 10 years, like you'll be over it. All right, So you got to have some emotional intelligence with, is this what I need to be saying right now? If ultimately I do want to help get some distance and help pull her out of this negativity, is, is that the thing to say right now? Um, and another important thing was to consider the other person's needs before offering advice. And that when you I think this is where a lot of issues stem from in sort of a, a relationship dynamic where maybe you are trying to vent to your husband and he immediately kind of jumps in with, well, you should have done this or you could do that. And you're like, okay, cool. Slow roll. Like, don't make me feel like I am helpless in like, yeah, right now I just want to vent. So this is, I think what makes it, like I said, such an art that you need to have your own perspective and awareness to know, okay, is this the time to meet the emotional needs? Is this the time to try to transition to the cognitive needs? Are we in a place where we can just talk solutions? Um, And that one of the best ways that you can support people is what he refers to as invisible support, where you are doing what is going to be helpful without shining this big spotlight on kind of where their shortcomings are. So for example, Setting, setting your spouse up for success in the morning, or maybe something you've noticed that you know, really helps with, with your spouse is when you want to work out at a certain time and he just kind of automatically takes on the, the role with the kids and <laughs> kind of um, goes to bat at the door, and says, no, mom's exercising, leave her alone, that sort of thing, where he's not outwardly saying Okay, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to make sure the kids don't bother you. He's just kind of doing it, stepping up because it's, it's what you need. Um, maybe it's buying the groceries so that you have what you need to make eating easy, even when you're spread really thin. So I thought that was a really good way to put the the support piece, the invisible support. Like, just do it. Don't call a lot of attention to it. Just notice where the need is and do it so that the person you're not kind of Inadvertently damaging their self-efficacy and making them feel like, "Oh, I'm I'm helpless. I need all these people to do these things for me." But instead, you're you're more so kind of propping them up in a time of need. Um. All right. So those are probably the the meatiest of uh, of the tools here, but a few other that were interesting and are easy enough to do and kind of small enough to do that it can't hurt. So one thing was that the the inner conversations that we're having are influenced by our physical spaces where we kind of do life. So something that can be have a really positive effect and you've probably noticed, but maybe not called, called a lot of attention to, is just the presence of nature. There were some studies where they looked at you know, people living in the same building, but some had views of the parking lot, some had views of trees, and how their kind of emotional resiliency was different based on those things. So basically that nature kind of acts as like a battery for our brains and can help us restore our attention and things like that. So even if you live in a total urban jungle where there's not a tree in sight, they said just looking at photos and videos of nature can work. And of course, if you do have nature around you to point your desk, overlooking a a green space, getting some time outside in nature. There were some interesting studies he referenced where people were tasked with remembering a certain, a a chain of numbers, and then either walked around, you know, like a a city scape or kind of an arboretum, and the people who were in nature were better able to commit that number to memory. So interesting stuff like that. And then one that I loved learning about the science of, because I've had this, I noticed it with myself and I've had a conversation with so many clients, is the effect that having a clean and organized house can have on making our brains feel clean and organized and not cluttered. And that basically we, we need to feel in control. We, we want to feel in control. And that's sort of twofold. One piece of it is that we have to believe that we're capable of taking action that will have the desired outcome. And then the second piece of it is that the world is this sort of orderly place where actions have the impact that you're expecting. And that you can sort of simulate that sense of order by organizing your surroundings and making sure that your physical environment. Is controlled and uncluttered, and I've heard this time and time again. And it's something whenever we do challenges with our clients where we're focusing on consistency. Often, one of the things we we include is ten or fifteen minutes to declutter a space or work on tidying or things like that. And it's not just because it you know because it looks good and it's a sense of accomplishment, but it really is because seeing that sense of order and tidiness and lack of clutter in your physical environment helps your brain (laughs) be the same way. Um, So that sense of control can improve your health, your emotional well-being, your performance, improve your relationships. And when you feel like things are out of control or like your personal space or your house is just super cluttered, that can increase the chatter that you experience. So if you have ever noticed that you feel better when you organize or that when you're under a lot of stress, you start tidying and cleaning and things like that, there's actually there's actually some legitimate science to that. Um, so it just goes to show how intertwined everything is. Your physical environment is intertwined with your mind. Your body is intertwined with your mind, and your environment. It's all just so interesting. Um, so a couple of other small things to, to wrap up. One, he was talking about the kind of place that placebos have that traditionally you hear about them as used in like pharmaceutical research to see is this drug more effective than someone who just thinks they're getting the drug? But that really a placebo can be anything. And that, I can't remember the term that he used for oh non, non-deceptive placebos that I've always thought in order for a placebo to be effective, you can't know that it's a placebo because then that kind of loses the effect. But evidently there's some research that you can know. You can just be presented with the option. They use like a saline nasal spray and they told people, This is a saline nasal spray. It can make you feel better if you decide that it will. And that people did, some people did feel better. So I thought that was so interesting. Um, And really, again, shows kind of the power that our mind has to heal things and control things. And do not take that out of context and say that I am not saying you should go to a doctor and there's like no benefit to medicine. Um, But just the fact that believing that something can help actually does shows that that belief affects outcomes. And this is something we talk about in coaching on a lot of the consults that I do. If you haven't done one, you can book one at sdraven.com slash call. Um, but the, the thing we talk about is that a lot of the women that sign on with us have a lot of self-doubt and they just don't believe in themselves. And we talk about how we only offer to work with women that we're 100% confident will be successful. And in the beginning, you can borrow our belief in you. And over time, that will help you believe in yourself. But it's kind of like, we're the the placebo. We're telling you that it's possible. And you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? i like, why not believe that it's possible? And then that belief starts to shape how you show up, which then affects the results that you get. And then you are kind of proving true that you could do it all along. Another interesting thing he mentioned is with regards to rituals. So these, I've always kind of used ritual sort of interchangeably with like a routine, but he explained that rituals are pretty rigid in sequence. You do the exact same things in the exact same order. Whereas a habit or a routine is just kind of the the same general things, but the order doesn't really matter so much. So for example, in the morning I do the same general things, but if I go to the bathroom before I brush my teeth doesn't matter if I get dressed or if I get Mattis dressed first, that doesn't matter. So it's all the same. I'm checking the same boxes, but the order kind of flip-flops. Whereas a ritual is what you think of maybe with an athlete who, you know, spins around a couple times, taps the bat on a foot, adjusts their hat, adjusts their sunglasses. And it's the exact same, almost like superstitious thing where either you feel like if you do it, something good will happen. Or if you don't do it, something bad will happen. And you're trying to avoid that. Um, just, I thought was really interesting, and he said that they can they can provide relief from chatter and can improve performance, and it's largely because they have this kind of underlying purpose. They help you overcome those concerns, and they because they require you to focus. Okay, what what I do next? What I already do? Um, they help you take your um, attention away from what's bothering you and kind of monopolize your working memory to be like, okay, you don't have time to worry about this right now. you got to get the routine in order, or the, the ritual in order. Um, and again, kind of goes back to that having a sense of order in the first place where you feel more control, more in control when things are in order. Um, okay. So that really kind of sums up this book. Like I said, it's called Chatter by Ethan Cross with a K. And some of the primary takeaways, to kind of recap what we've, uh, what we've just gone over, is number one, getting distance from whatever is going on in your head, whether you use the fly in the wall or the neutral sort of third party, whether you take yourself into the future and ask how you're going to feel in a few years, whether you journal, anything to help you get that distance from either your rumination or your worry. Continuing with distance is distancing your self-talk. So instead of saying I, 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 using the word you to have kind of the general experience, using he or she, using yourself by your first name, and working on seeing your stressors as challenges rather than threats to your well-being. Next was talking about the talking about talking about um, the experience of talking to others about how you're feeling. And that, yes, it's important to get your emotional needs met, but that you also need to address the cognitive. You need to be able to get pulled out of that chatter and into, okay, what can I do? What are the solutions? What am I Where am I going to go from here? So when you are seeking out support, do so from your sort of approved board of advisors, the people who are not going to get in the pool with you and co-ruminate, but the ones who are going to empathize and then also help you get perspective and seek solutions. And like I said, if you don't have a board of advisors when it comes to your health, your wellness, your lifestyle, we would love to be those people for you. Um... Lastly, the importance that nature can have on your chatter, the importance of your surroundings, staying organized, tidy, exhibiting a sense of control over your surroundings, and small things like believing that something is going to work or going to help so that it actually does, having rituals that will sort of distract you from the anxiety and help you focus on, okay, what are the actions that I'm taking and what order do they go in? And that overall, all of these are tools that will help you reduce your chatter, harness that voice in your head, and improve literally every facet. Of your life. So I hope that this was helpful for you. Like I said, coaching is an incredible way to get help with all of this, to get that outside perspective, to get the cognitive and emotional needs met. And we would be thrilled to be those people for you. So all the information for our one-on-one coaching is at estraven.com slash GFG. And you can go straight to estraven.com slash call and book a consult with us from there. Hope that you guys enjoyed this episode and I look forward to you next week. If you like this podcast, you will love the deep dive that we provide on our consult calls. When is the last time you actually set aside any chunk of time to just think and talk about yourself, about your goals, and really dug into what's actually standing in your way? Just that alone, just having a sounding board for your thoughts can be incredibly eye-opening and help you get that aha moment that you need to actually take the first step toward lasting change. If during our conversation, we know for sure we can help you bridge the gap from where you are now to where you want to be, then we'll offer to share with you what our one-on-one coaching experience is like and how we can help support and guide you to that goal. You can book a call with us at sdaevent.com call, and we can't wait to get to know you.